this third, this third conference I would like her to be on the reformation of our lives, the approach of the last judgment, the approach of the particular judgment probably, the vanity of the worldly things and the folly of living as an enemy of God. We all agree upon that. Everyone, uh, I like the saying, everyone desires to die the death of the saints. But it's scarcely possible for a, a Christian to make a holy end who has led a, holy, a disorderly life. We want to die the death of a saint, we have to live the life of a saint. It makes sense. It's very simple. Until the time of one's death, okay, to live who has led a disordered life until the time of one's death, to die united with God after having lived at a distance from God. The sinner always looks for tomorrow. Looks for tomorrow to convert, change, to make amends. The, sin, the saints, in order to secure a happy death, they renounced their riches. They renounced the lights that the world had to offer to them, all the hopes which the world held out, and embraced poverty, and they embraced a mortified life. They buried themselves alive from this world to avoid, when dead, being buried forever in hell. For how many years have we deserved to be buried in the fires of hell without the hope of pardon or of being able to love God? But as I mentioned, God's very patient. He has waited in order to pardon us. Truly then, are we sorry for them from the bottom of our hearts for having offended God? Or do we sin casually? Do we think very little of sin in others? God forewarns the sinners that they, they will seek him in death and they shall not find him. Do you, ever do you ever doubt what that meant? They will seek him and they shall not find him. He says in scriptures, you shall seek and you shall not find me. They shall not find him because they will not seek him through love. They will seek him through fear, fear of hell. They will seek God without renouncing their affections for sin. That's what it means. They will seek God without renouncing their affection for sin, and thus they shall not find him. We cannot wait to seek God in death, but we must seek him from this very moment, if you have not done so already. Let us be sorry for having given him much displeasure by seeking something else, the gratification of our own inclinations. God does not will that the heart seek him should despair, but that the heart that seeks him should rejoice. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. How miserable is the Christian who before his death has not spent a good part of his life repenting of his sins. I think I, there's the bell, it's time to come. Um, I think I kind of saw this a year or so ago in another city 
when someone had chosen to live a sinful life for many years. They chose to abandon the sacraments. They chose to enter into a bad marriage. They chose to absent themselves from the friendship of the Almighty God. And I went and I was forewarned shortly before I went in, minutes before I went in. The, I didn't know the people. I was forewarned of their living situation. And I went in and I, I said, they're on, they're on the deathbed. They've been given less than 24 hours to live. And I went in and I asked, uh, may I have the privilege of giving you the sacraments? And the response was, I don't think so. Kind of surprised me, but it didn't shock me. They've lived a life apart from God. Why change now? But as they say, there are no doubters in the foxholes. And I said to them, are you sure? And they said, no, I'm not sure. So that was a relief. Let me get the foot in the door. And they finally did receive the sacraments. I managed to secure the scapular on them. And they died, they died the next day. That's a sign that they saved their soul, but uh, it's awfully risky to wait till the end and then not receive the sacraments with all the desire. God does not will that the heart that seeks him should despair, but rejoice. And let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. How miserable is the Christian who before his death has not spent a good part of his life repenting of his sins. It is not to be denied that such a man may be converted at his death and obtain salvation. But the mind obscured, the heart hardened, the bad habits formed, the passions predominant, they render it morally impossible for the sinner to die a happy death. Saint John Chrysostom, once again, said his tough guy, Tough guy, you should hear his sermons on women's makeup. Uh, St. John uh, Chrysostom once again says, scarcely one in a hundred thousand deathbed conversions are for real. He's a tough guy. I have a lot of hope that they are for real, especially when the sacraments are received, and especially with our Lord's promise that he who dies wearing the scapular shall not suffer eternal fire. An extraordinary grace will be necessary for the sinner. But does God reserve such a grace to bestow upon one who has continued ungrateful to him even until the moments of death? Rarely. To what straits are sinners reduced to escape eternal damnation or destruction? Some certainly do. Some certainly do. How foolish it is for the sinner to wait until death to repent of his sins and to love God. And it requires that a special grace to do so, to love God after living such a long life of sin. The approach of judgment is a terrible thing. It's full of terror. I would ask that you consider the fear which the thought of judgment will cause in the mind of the dying person. When he reflects that in a very short time, he's going to have to be present. He's going to present himself 
before our Lord Jesus Christ is judge. In a very short time, he's going to have to render an account of all of his actions of his past. When the awful moment of his passage out of this world into another, out of time into eternity, arrives, there will be nothing so tormenting to him as the sight of his sins. St. Mary Magdalene de Pazzi, being ill and thinking of judgment, trembled. Her confessor told her not to fear. He said, and she said to him, Ah, Father, it is an awful thing to appear before Jesus Christ as our judge. End quote. Such were the sensations of this holy virgin, who was, as some say, was a saint even in her infancy. What will one say who has frequently deserved hell, you or me? The blessed Agatha, for many years of, after many years of penance, trembled, saying, What will become of me when I will be judged? And how shall he not tremble, who has offended God by many mortal sins, and yet has done no penance for them? <clears throat> At death, the sight of one's crimes, the rigor of divine justice, the uncertainty of the sentence to be pronounced upon him, what a feeling of horror and confusion will these thoughts rise in his mind. Let us be careful to throw ourselves at the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ and secure our pardon before the arrival of a judgment day, the accounting day. Our Savior will one day be our judge. He's not that now. He's our Savior. May he have pity on us before the day of justice. Are we to be found a deserter? You know, St. John Vianney was accused of deserting. One day he, went in, he, was, he had joined the army, and he went into a church and prayed, and they took off without him, and he was accused of being a deserter. Are we to be found to be a deserter? who have often promised to be faithful to God, and yet time and time again turned our backs upon our Lord. Our Lord does not deserve, he has not deserved the treatment which he's received from our hands. Desire, change, and amend your lives, dear men. There will be decided a great affair of our eternal salvation when we die. It is believed by many of the fathers of the church. I use that term not to describe the fathers as those men who lived just after the apostles. They are officially known as the fathers of the church, but the spiritual writers of the church, that in the very spot in which we die, there we shall be judged. If you were to die of a heart attack after Father Greenwell's conference today, right here is where you will be judged. All, all heaven will come to witness the judgment of the individual soul. Then will be decided the great affair of our salvation. And upon this decision will depend whether we are saved or lost forever, whether we are happy or miserable for all eternity. 
Each one of us knows this. But if it is so, why do we not leave all behind and attend only to our salvation, to our sanctification, to the securing of eternal salvation? We must thank God for the light which he has shed upon our sins. He died for our salvation. Pray that when we first behold Almighty God, that he will have a countenance of appeasement. Let us esteem God's grace above all other goods, and let us resolve nevermore to despise his grace. Scripture often compares life to a vapor. Sometimes you see in these state parks geysers, which are quite beautiful things. Quite beautiful things. Steam shooting up out of the earth. Sun light falling upon them, making them golden. But then they disappear. And they're seen no more. St. James asked the question, what is our life? St. James answered the question. It is a vapor which appears for a little while and afterward vanishes away. The vapors which arise from the earth when raised into the air, when surrounded by the rays of sun, appear brilliant, beautiful. <clears throat> but the least wind sweeps them, disperses them, and they're seen no more. Such is the grandeur of this world. The world has witnessed many tyrants who today are feared while they lived upon the earth. They were honored by thousands, and then they died. Then the true feeling came out how everyone despised them, how everyone hated them, especially the tyrant's enemies. In a word, honors, pleasures, riches must all end in death. What would that we would, that we become sensible of the immensity of God's love for us, that we love in return nothing but Almighty God. Death deprives you of whatever you possess in the world. There will come a sad night, a sad sight, to behold a rich man after death being carried out of his palace and to return there no more. How sad to behold others taking possession of their estates, which have been left, of their wealth, which he worked for, and whatever else he so lightly enjoyed. His servants, after having accompanied him to the grave, abandon him and leave him there to be devoured by worms. I remember the same priest that I told you about earlier. I was about eight, nine, ten years of age, attending one of the first funerals I ever remember. And there was this lady that was crying, crying her eyes out in the, we were at the cemetery. She was sitting out, I presume. And uh, it was one of my aunts, I didn't know it at the time. And the priest said later on, I asked, who was that lady? He was not meaning to be unkind by his response to me. He was simply stating a fact. 
He who cries the loudest is usually the first to forget. Okay? He wasn't meaning to say anything against the, the lady. He was just making a statement on the truth of, of human nature. But now we have this man who's died. He's, he's devoured by worms. No one esteeming him. No one to flatter him as they did in life because they wanted to be in his good graces. Formerly, everyone obeyed his nod. But now no one takes the least notice of those orders anymore. How wretched is the man in having for so many years gone after the vanities of this world, left God our sovereign good. I fear this with our young, when they go after a career that takes them away from the sacraments, takes them away from mass, even noble pursuits in the military. I fear what will become of them if, they don't have the, if they're not receiving the spiritual food that will enable them to resist temptation. From this day forward, let us desire to possess God as our only treasure, as our only love. We read in the book of Ecclesiasticus, dust and ashes, why are you proud? God reminds man as he does every Ash Wednesday that we are dust. God reminds man that not in a short time will he become dust and ashes. Death will soon come and rob us of everything and separate us from the whole world. And if when we give our account, we are found wanting, what will become of us for eternity? God speaks to us in this manner because he wants us to save our souls. He wants to save us from perdition. He promises pardon for those who repent of their offenses. From the bottom of their, our hearts, let us repent and receive pardon. God has promised to love those who love him, even though we are all worthy of his hate. God has counted the number of sins he will forgive you. This is the opinion of St. Basil, St. Jerome, St. Ambrose, St. Augustine, and many others, that God has determined for each the number of talents, the goods of fortune, the number of days to be bestowed upon him. So he has also determined for each of us the number of sins he will pardon us, and it will differ. But when this is completed, the number, God will pour out his chastisements upon us and he will pardon us no more. That's the danger of one more sin. One more sin. That might be the sin beyond which God doesn't pardon you. And then what happens? Well, if he doesn't give you grace, you can't even be sorry for your sins. It's very important. Each one, says St. Augustine, is patiently born with by God for a certain time. But when it is over, there is then no longer any more pardon for the sinner. We must be aware that we have abused God's patience too much. God has not abandoned us because you're here, because you attended Mass, because many of you will receive communion tonight in honor of the Sacred Heart. He has not abandoned you because we are sorry for our sins. 
And this sorrow is a sign that he still loves us. The Lord patiently expects that when the day of judgment shall come, he shall punish the sinner in the fullness of their sin. Although God has patience and waits for the sinner, yet when the day arrives for the measure of his sins to be filled up, our Lord will wait no longer for the sinner, but our Lord will then chastise him. And since God has not yet abandoned and judged us, we have hope of pardon. Each and every man here has hope of the friendship of Almighty God. If we have a resolution never more to excite or to provoke the anger of Almighty God, now is the time to renounce your sinful life and to esteem the friendship of God in place of all the goods of this world. We commit sin and we take no notice of the load of our guilt. This is one of the beautiful truths, and I love the movie Scrooge. I have four different versions of it by four different main actors, and I always watch it copiously just before Christmas. We take no notice of the load of our guilt. Remember when Marley appeared to Scrooge through the door, and he had this long chain of baggage that he was dragging with him wherever he went. Scrooge makes a comment about that. Marley says to Scrooge, You're, this was the chain, these are the chains that I made myself. Seven years ago, when he died seven years ago, you, Jacob, you, uh, Ebenezer, your chain was just as long and you've been working on it for the past seven years to make it longer. We have to take notice of the load of our guilt, which we are accumulating. But let us tremble lest what happened to King Balthazar befall us as well. We read in scriptures, Thou art weighed in the balance, and thou art found wanting. The devil may tell you, and does, and suggest to you, it matters not whether it be 10 sins or 11 sins. You can go to confession. No matter. It doesn't matter. It does matter. That wicked enemy deceives us. And the sin which he is tempting us to commit will increase the load of our guilt. It may decide the balance of divine justice against us. And we may be condemned for the in the torments of hell because of it. If we do not live in fear that God will not show us mercy, should we add one more mortal sin to those which we've already committed? If we do not tremble at this thought, we're in great danger of being lost. If we're willing to commit one more sin, let us once again thank God for his extreme patience with us. Let us resolve nevermore to offend our Holy Savior. I would like for you to consider the folly of living as enemies of God. This too has been discussed in Scripture. Sinners call the saints fools who in this life fly from honors, riches, and pleasures of sense and embrace poverty, contempt, and mortification. Sinners call the saints fools. They're doing nothing but deceiving themselves or trying to deceive themselves. 
But at the day of final retribution, they, the sinners, will confess that they themselves have been the fools in judging the lives of the saints as folly. We read in Scripture, we fools esteem their life madness. And what greater folly can there be than to live without God? Which is to live a miserable life in this world, only to be succeeded by a more miserable life in the next world, in hell. We cannot wait till the last day to confess our folly. We must acknowledge how many times we have offended God. We are not worthy to be called sons of God. We're not worthy to receive his forgiveness, but we hope for it through the blood which our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has shed for our sakes. Unhappy sinners blinded by their sins, they lose all judgment. They lose fear. They lose the, the sense of importance to live a good life. The unhappy sinner does. What would be said of a man who would sell a kingdom for a smallest coin? What would be said of one who for a momentary pleasure, we described it earlier, a vapor, an impulse, sells heaven for the grace of God and the grace of God. They think only of this life, which will shortly end, and in the meantime live to deserve hell which will never end. The time will come when we will cry our folly, but when? When there will be no longer anything to prevent us from eternal ruin? What doth, it pro what doth pride profit us? What advantage does boasting of riches bring us? All these things shall pass away like a shadow like a vapor. Behold, we exclaim, exclaim how our delights have passed away like a shadow, and nothing remains for us now but suffering and eternal sorrow. We must ask God's pity and mercy as we have forgotten him. Yesterday I mentioned St. Paul's quote that we must be about our business our only business, the business of our souls. I mentioned that in the funeral sermon, Cleveland. The affair of our eternal salvation is of all affairs our most important affair. But why is it that men use all diligence to succeed in the world, leave no means untried to obtain a desirable situation, a fortune, a lawsuit, to bring about a marriage, to reject, they reject no counsel, they neglect no measures by which to secure their object, and yet they do nothing to gain eternal salvation. Nothing to gain it, but everything to forfeit it. As though hell, heaven, and eternity were not articles of faith, but only fables and lies. God's assistance is necessary for us to be no longer blind. What wilt thou, Lord, that I see, should be our cry. 
If an accident happens to a house, what is not immediately done to repair it? If a jewel is lost, what search is not had to recover it? I lost a treasure the other day here, a set of keys. Somebody lost the keys. Either I did or the workers or somebody. Keys to the building and keys to uh, the tractor. One of our young men working out here was crossing the road one day, found them right there in the middle of the road. We were lost without those keys. The soul is lost, the grace of God is lost, and men sleep and they're fat and they're happy, oblivious to the truth. We attend most carefully to the temporal welfare and which one of us cannot boast that we truly have been neglectful of our eternal welfare. We call those happy who have renounced all things for God. Why then are we so much attached to the things of the world? We see the happiness of our young sisters. We see the happiness of the young men who go into the seminary or brotherhood. And yet we don't want to follow them. We want our happiness right here and now in the things of this world. And I'm not suggesting you all become monks. Your wives would hang me. God has so much desired our salvation as to shed his blood, as to lay down his life to secure our salvation. Why are we so indifferent to the preservation of his grace, to renounce and to forfeit the salvation of our soul for nothing? Everything on this earth is nothing. We must be sorry for having dishonored our Lord. Let us renounce all things to attend his love. You have done that. In a small part this weekend, God is worthy of our love. The Son of God gives his life to save our souls. The devil, too, he's most diligent in his endeavors to bring our souls to eternal ruin. And we don't take care of them. St. Philip Neri condemns that foolish man at the height of folly who is inattentive to the salvation of his soul. And St. Philip Neri was a very cheerful individual. Some who belong to St. John Bosco's religious community condemned those who belong to St. Philip's religious community because there was too much noise coming from St. Philip Neri's oratories. They were too happy and celebrating all the time. St. Philip Neri knew what it was to have a good time, but he also knew what it was to be attentive to one's soul. And you and I must be attentive to one's soul. Let us arouse from our lethargic faith. It is certain that after this short life, another life awaits us, which will be either eternally happy or eternally miserable. God gives you a choice. We are pro-choice people, not like the abortionists would like you to be, to choose death. God does give us a choice to choose him. He doesn't give us the right to choose evil, wickedness. This is to be condemned. God gives us to choose which it will be. Before man is life and death, that which he shall choose shall be given him. So if we choose death, eternal death, God will give it to us. It's our choice. 
many boasts who, who live in the rock music industry that they've chosen to serve in hell rather than to, to reign in hell rather than to serve in heaven. We had to make such a choice now. Shall we not repent for all eternity? We must become sensible of the great wrongs that we've done in renouncing God for the love of creatures. And we should remember that these creatures are, as I started this conference, they are, they are vapors and they disappear, all the things of this earth. Only the love of God remains forever. God bless you and God love you.